Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 16 The Heist The old man's gong reverberated even in the secret cellar, and Manu cursed as he rolled Hatra's head off his chest and struggled to his feet. She'd shown little regard for his wounds in her enthusiasm of the night, and his back prickled with the sharp scratches she had left on him. Hatra was mumbling to herself as she slept, a lazy smile with languorous slumbering lips, a twist of black curls stranded across her cheek. Get up, woman. Time to put on the mask again. He spanked her gently on the rump until, despite her growling protestations, she eventually sat up. I don't think the old man is going to turn it off until we go up there. Besides, I need food, and you've sapped me of all my strength. Hatra chuckled, then dressed quickly, donning the jerkin that tightly wrapped her chest and flared with its padded shoulders. The mask followed. The transformation complete, the King of Thieves stood there, a walking armoury and a terrifying visage. They climbed the stairs. Vashir and Jum were sitting cross-legged together and eating their morning meal, and the echoes of the gong were fading away. A leather tube snaked over from the clockwork machinery and was attached to a tall copper tube with a tap on the side, tendrils of steam twisting from it. A fat copper kettle was perched on top, gleaming as droplets of condensation ran down its sides. Help yourself to tea and rice. They obeyed, and Manu sat down. The king of thieves sat at a distance apart from them, back turned and eating in silence. I got here in the evening, still looking for you, but Vashir said you two were in conference and could not be disturbed. June wolfed down the rice, grain spilling from his mouth as he talked. He tossed a bundle wrapped in rags to Manu. He'd bought fresh new clothes, plainly cut from black wool, and looked like a military version of Manu. Manu unwrapped the bundle. You recovered them for me? Good lad. He sorted through his tools and patted his blue steel knife. Vashir glanced at the hooded silhouette of the King of Thieves. Did your conference yield any fruit? A hoarse rasping cough. Uh, We have agreed that our interests are aligned for now. A partnership, if you will. The old man looked back to Manu. Your plans? The King of Thieves has agreed to scout the treasury for us and will determine our method of entry and also our escape. The King of Thieves stood up and faced them, 
and Vashir cleared his throat. The diagrams I require will be inside a locked tomb. It is unusual in appearance. Instead of iron bands and a padlock, it is almost entirely bound in clockwork. You've seen my work. Well, this will be even finer and more intricate. Under no circumstance attempt to open it. My master feared his work falling into the wrong hands and placed within the case a device that would destroy all the parchments if it was forced open. Can I come? Jun had finished his rice, and after licking out the bowl and picking the spilt grains off his tunic, was hungrily eyeing everyone else's bowls. I want to learn how you do it, the sneaking and all the things you see. No, I work alone. I cannot have a child under my feet as I do something this dangerous. I can take care of myself. Joom slipped out his dagger and brandished it at the King of Thieves. I meant dangerous to me. The guards at the treasury are handpicked for their trustworthiness. In addition, their families all live within a compound inside the government building. This is said to be done to ensure that the guards have no fear that a thief would kidnap their loved ones and ransom a theft that way. In reality, it is as much to ensure absolute loyalty. You must understand, if we do this burglary, guards will pay for it with their lives. Wait here until I return. Hatra left the old man's workshop, cloak held closed, and her hood pulled low. She entered an empty alley, disturbing some foraging rats, and, satisfied no one was watching, removed her mask and rolled it up. She unbuckled the padded shoulders and attached them to her hips then pulled a veil from a pouch and fixed it over her face. With the aid of a small silver mirror, she blackened her eyelids with coal in a sultry sweep, then slipped her arms out of the slits in her cloak and buttoned up the front. The strap knives on her were then buckled around her calves, hidden by the ground-length dress, a devout woman in black. She passed back into the street and walked through the crowds up to the higher city. Many women, devoutly veiled, went about their business. Hiding in plain sight, she mused, was surely the safest of all infiltrations. She made her way to the queues outside the governmental buildings and joined one that wound its way toward the treasury. It was hot under the black disguise, but she waited patiently as the line slowly shuffled forward. Reaching the front of the line after hours under the sun, she breathed deeply in the cool shade of the great marble building. Your purpose, mother? The guard spoke respectfully, the honorific given to all women who expressed their religious ardour with such chaste clothing. My husband was killed in a patrol in the desert. I've come to beg for a widow's pension. 
I, I, I do not know how I will feed my children without their father's salary. Her eyes were downcast and her shoulders trembled as the broken words came out. The guard sighed. You've paid a heavy price for your loyalty to the city, mother. Take this form and have it signed inside the treasury. You will be dealt with sympathetically, I assure you. Please come with me. He led her past the stone pillars and inside the building. Alert guards inside the door barely glanced at the fellow soldier and the pious woman he escorted. He took her deeper into the building. Offices with scribes, all clad in the matching pale blue of the governmental clerical workers, sat in rows at wide tables where they inspected documents presented by visitors and deliberated with each other over the merits of individual cases. Supplicants approved would receive signed papers and be sent with their smiling recipients to a booth in the wall where the documents were exchanged for precisely counted and weighed purses of coin. Not everyone was approved. A failed suitor had his documents tossed into a chest behind the desk. The scribes shook their heads and the man walked away, head bowed, then shouting that he would not leave he threw himself on his knees and begged. His hands clutched together and tears streaming down his face. The scribes were stony-faced and called for guards to drag the weeping applicant from the room and cast him out into the street. Join this queue, mother. You'll be seen shortly. He bowed his head to her, shaking it as he thought of her wretched fate and left. Hatra watched the people come and go. Guards patrolled the corridors and further entry, deeper into the treasury, was barred by a heavy door. The queue at the booth where money was dispensed stopped moving and the shutter was drawn. A minute later, the heavy door was opened and the cashier passed through. The guards at that door searched him carefully to ensure that no money had been taken, then allowed him to fetch his cloak from a rack and leave. He passed Hatra on his way out, and she watched him licking his lips as he contemplated his lunch. He nodded to a similarly dressed fellow going the opposite way, and his greeting was answered in kind. That man went to the heavy door and hung his cloak on the rack before being allowed through by the guards. A moment later, the shutter opened in the cashier's booth and the reimbursement queue resumed its progress. Too much security, too many guards and too many checks. Hatra turned and left, discarding her document and slipping into the crowd outside making sure to avoid being seen by the guard who had taken her inside. She was just another woman dressed in black. She studied the treasury from the anonymity of the crowd and walked around the breadth of the building. It was not a separate structure, 
but part of a palatial fortress that backed directly onto God's finger. It was three stories high, but the marble pillars that surrounded the front and side walls rose so high that the windows of the first floor were obscured, with only the windows of the second floor visible above. Guard posts were placed in the shadows beyond the pillars, and behind their security, all the functions of the Sultan's government were executed. Hatra wondered what life was like inside the compound. Surely they could not all live with a guard at every door. It would be like a prison. They must have living quarters and open spaces. Maybe just the exterior, with its overwhelming show of force, was a difficult part. She felt the thief's strong instinct to climb past the obstacles and attack from the inside. Angry voices were raised at the treasury gate, and two more guards ran down from their posts behind the colonnade. A wealthy man, in an elaborate turban, was waving away protesting peasants, the sun glinting off the jewels in the rings on his pudgy fingers. A tall, broad-chested man, shouldering an iron-bound chest that forced his shoulder down and made him take slow steps, shouted at the peasants to keep back, his hand straying to the hilt of a broad scimitar. A servant ran from the wealthy man to the guards, surreptitiously depositing a coin in each of their hands, and the guards forced the shouting crowds back into line, then escorted the merchant past the head of the line and into the treasury. Hatra remembered that it was not just the wealth of the sultan and the taxes of the city that were stored in the treasury. Rich men, scared to keep too much wealth in their houses, for fear of thieves, paid for storage within the treasury and were issued with bonds signed by both parties for the retrieval of said treasures. She smiled beneath her veil. A plan was forming. She made her way back down to the lower city and through the markets. She stopped at several stalls and made a number of purchases then hid in the same alley where she disturbed the rats that morning. In a few minutes, she was transformed back into the King of Thieves, only remembering at the last moment to scrub the coal from her eyelids. The old man led her back into the clock workshop and returned to his workbench and his toys. Manu and Jum had stripped to the waist and in the steamy heat of the machine room had sweat gleaming on their chests and faces. Manu stepped smoothly through the forms of his knife routines, Jum standing behind and aping him clumsily. Manu stamped on an imaginary knee, swept the leg and finished with a low throat slash. The crane and the serpent. He flipped the blade downward and retreated in quick steps, making short slicing arcs that blurred his arms as he defended against an invisible attacker, fan of knives. He winked at the king of thieves, 
and threw the knife at head height. The king of thieves twisted smoothly to dodge the blade and dispatched an answer in the same movement, hidden knife falling into palm of hand, a flick of the wrist. Manu plucked the knife out of the air, pinching it between forefinger and thumb. Jum's dagger clattered to the ground and he stared slack-jawed at his master. When do you teach me to do that? he whispered. Manu laughed and offered the king of thieves back the knife with a curt bow, hilt first. The king of thieves received the knife and slipped it discreetly into its wrist sheath. Impressive move. I knew a man who did that some time back. A trick to impress barmaids. Oh, and what happened to him? One day he missed the catch. That was the last time he impressed anyone, let alone the barmaids. Are you saying that will happen to me? As young as you are, Manu, you are getting slower, day by day. One day you'll reach and discover you've missed and notice the blade in your chest and the pool of blood you're standing in, just like he did. Manu shrugged. There are a thousand ways to die, and I caught almost all of them. What's one in a thousand? The king of thieves coughed. I calculate the risks I take, and take only those I must. However, let us return to the matter at hand. I have surveyed the treasury. The guards are formidable, numerous, and well organised. So, how do we get in? They will invite us in, said the King of Thieves. What? How do you plan to arrange that? The King of Thieves faced Jum steadily and without speaking. The boy's grin faded, and under the impassive gaze of the eyes that lay behind the mask of the screaming man, he started to fidget nervously. Why are you looking at me like that? Have I done something wrong? Do you know how to keep a secret, little boy? Uh-huh. Do you know what I would do to you if I told you a secret and then found out later you had betrayed my confidence? Jum's legs were trembling as he looked at Manu. I keep my master's secrets. I can keep yours just the same. The king of thieves stepped forward and the screaming mask drew closer to the boy's face. They stood in silence until with a soft snort, the king of thieves straightened up. Here, a bundle of clothes was thrust at each of them. You wanted to learn how to be sneaky? Get dressed and get ready to do some acting. The wealthy merchant woman strode through the city, head held high and looking down at her delicately wrinkled nose at the smelly commoners in her way. Many would say she was a fine-looking woman and would look better with a touch of makeup, but with her tight lips and scraped back hair, 
marked her as someone not to be trifled with. Ahead of her, darting and pleading, a servant boy tugged people out of the way of his master, whispering apologies and entreaties as he went. Slow and heavy were the strides of the wealthy merchant woman's bodyguard, cradling a padlocked chest in his arms, the wicked shamshir at his side, and the mean twist of his lips, not as intimidating as the sheer presence of the man. Thick chest, thrust forward, wide shoulders back. His eye patch signalled him as a man of danger, even though most of his features were hidden beneath his swirling headscarf. The merchant woman marched into the square in front of the treasury, eyeing with a sneer the lines of people still queuing in the long shadows of the late afternoon. Servant boy, summon the guards. She tossed the boy a coin, gold glinting in the orange light as it spun into his waiting hand. The bodyguard dropped the chest he carried with a thud, then stood astride it rubbing his shoulders and breathing heavily. Several heads turned to look at the padlocked chest, but the bodyguard rested a hand on the hilt of his sword and stared at them until they looked down at the ground, unable to hold his ferocious, one-eyed glare. The servant boy returned, bowing and scraping and tugging at the trouser leg of a soldier in the garb of a captain in the Sultan's army. The captain of the guard glanced down at the fidgeting boy and scowled. Then his mind returned to the fat gold coin he squeezed between finger and thumb, and a smile spread across his face. It was more than he was paid for a week's service, even on his officer's salary. Your servant says you wish to open a deposit account, mistress. Is that so? Exactly so. The brigands and the thieves that run amok in the city, something I've grown weary in expecting your guards to deal with, leave me with, with too much doubt to store my own valuables. Alas, mistress, the guard number only so many, and in a city this big, we are spread too thinly to cover every neighbourhood. Meaning you only patrol the noble districts, and the buildings belonging to the, sil the sultan himself. I am just a humble foot soldier, mistress. I do not give the orders, and I simply obey my generals as best I can. He bowed his head with a sigh. The wealthy merchant woman tuttered. Be that as it may, I find myself having to resort to storing my money within the treasury. She thumped the chest on the ground. You may lead me inside. I've no desire to linger with these noisome peasants any longer. The treasury is closing very soon, mistress, but your authority precedes you. The soldier kissed the gold coin as he inclined his head to her and swept his arm toward the arched entry to the treasury. Please follow me. The bodyguard sighed and heaved the chest up and followed them, 
puffs of dust rising up with each heavy footfall. The soldier waved away the guards that approached them. Make way for an important customer. He led them to a great door at the end of the hall and whispered to the guards there. One of them approached the merchant woman. What is it? The hiss in her voice signalled her contempt. My apologies, mistress, but you must be searched before entering the vaults. You understand? Security. He fidgeted with his hands as he stuttered the words out. What is this impudence? I'll not have your sweaty hands groping me like some cheap harlot. I see you eyeing my breasts, desiring me, yearning to fondle me. I'm trying to put my gold into the treasury, you stupid little man. I'm not a common thief with something to hide. The guard backed away, sweating profusely, and his cheeks redding. Uh, my, my mistake, mistress. Please accept my apologies. You, you are right, of course. This way. The guards let them through the heavy doors and the soldier led them deeper into the treasury. Those oafish guards underestimated your importance, mistress. The soldier was grinning and enjoying the satisfying weight of the coin in his fist. Oafs, indeed. It is fortunate for me that my servant found someone of greater acuity and usefulness so quickly. I shall remember to have you summoned each week when I make a new deposit. You are satisfied with your pay rate, I take it. Each week? The words half choked in his throat as he coughed them out and he faced the wealthy merchant woman, slowly blinking at her. Yes. Do I not make myself clear? Each week, when I conclude my business and calculate my profits, I will need to deposit it in the treasury. Make sure you are here on the day and at this hour and I will reward you with another small coin like that one to escort me swiftly through all this bureaucratic nonsense. Sometimes I will be earlier, sometimes later. If you are unavailable, I will be forced to find another who may not be as efficient and commodious as you. She stared at the dumbfounded soldier, her eyebrow raised. The soldier spluttered and coughed as he tried to compose himself. Mistress, I assure you, I will wait expectantly for you. Never mind the hour. Your business is too important to concern yourself with looking for another. I am your man. Ask of me what you will. The merchant woman narrowed her eyes as she searched the soldier's face. Then, satisfied, she grunted. Excellent. Now lead me to the vaults. This is already taking too much time, and I have pressing business matters which I must attend to. The soldier swept his arm down the corridor. This way, mistress. A few more guards, but don't worry, I'll clear your way. He jogged off ahead of them and began to argue loudly with the guards at the next door.
The bodyguard heaved the chest as he arranged his grip and breathed deeply. <clears throat> Playing it a bit rich, aren't you? The merchant woman glared at him. I know what I'm doing. Now keep quiet and keep up. The red-faced guards at the next checkpoint pulled open the door and the soldier led them through. Here, this is the entrance to the vaults. He waved away the questions of the guard at the door and banged his fist in the door. Vault keeper, hurry up. You are delaying a very important customer. A sheen of perspiration glistened on his brow as he smiled back at the merchant woman who crossed her arms and tapped her foot impatiently. There was a creak and the door swung open. A small old man with wire-bound half-moons of glass perched on his nose and seemingly lost in his voluminous robes peered out, then up at the towering figure of the captain of the guard. Hello? What is it? His voice was reedy and weak as he peered out of the doorway, pink nose twitching, and his fingers tightened on the parchment he carried. The captain of the guard waved the merchant woman towards the little man. Your next customer awaits you, old man. A very important merchant, paying well to deposit in the security of the vaults. Oh, all right. Come on in, then. He beckoned with ink-stained fingers, and the merchant led her party forward. Captain, wait for me here. We may be some minutes as I assess the suitability of this vault's so-called security. I shall require your speedy escort back out as soon as my business is completed. Take your time, mistress. I shall be here as long as you need me. The old man walked them through the vaults. The stone ceilings were high and rounded, fluted arches curved high above. The stone was cut simply, with little adornment, and their footsteps echoed off the walls, punctuating the pervasive silence and the chill that leaked from the rock. The servant boy shivered, it's like a crypt in here. He pulled his cloak about his shoulders and glanced around him as the flickering torches sent shadows skittering behind pillars and creeping back around as if watching the intruders. The vault was a series of chambers cut into the bedrock of God's finger. Deep catacombs with iron gates that blocked access from the corridor. Heavy hinges would allow a portion of the bars to swing free, but for each chamber they passed, the bars were chained together with large locks hanging from the chains. Beyond each set of iron bars were variously stacked crates and chests, the valuables of the sultan or the personal stores of nobles. The inventory, you see, that's my job. The little old man waved the parchment above his head. It's the only way to keep track of all this. Years and centuries that things have been stored here. 
sometimes so long that their owners forget or die with their records lost. Eventually, I have to sign it over to the Sultan. Sometimes relatives do come. It is a lot of record-keeping, mostly. I'm practically a librarian. All the different stores and all the different keys. He jingled something under his robe. I heard a legend that the Sultan's library was contained down here. The merchant woman spoke casually, disinterested in having a conversation with the vault keeper. The old man stopped and, with a creaky twist of his neck, looked at her over his shoulder. It's no legend. He has a special chamber set aside for the books, the largest chamber we have down here. He never comes for them, though. His father knew their value and would send for volumes from time to time. His glasses slid down his nose and blushed. The new sultan, well, let's just say the only books he has sent for have pictures. Where is the library? The merchant woman sounded bored as she murmured her reply. We'll pass it soon on the way to your new vault. They walked deeper into the cool quiet and came to a different chamber, wider and deeper than any they had already passed. By the torchlight, they saw countless rows of shelves stacked with rolls of parchment and leather-bound books. In the centre of the room was a desk and chair. A candle burned halfway down on a tray and an open book lay on the table. Looks like the library has had recent visitors. The old man pushed his glasses up the brow of his nose and rubbed the back of his neck as he fidgeted uncomfortably, staring at his feet and avoiding the glare of the merchant woman. I, um, well... I sometimes like to go in there and read myself. It is such a shame. All those wonderful volumes lying dusty and unread. I hear in other cities more um, enlightened rulers made their collections available for copying by students, improving the education and status of their nation. Our rulers think of them as valuables, but simply store them away until some time that they can trade them for something else they desire. The bodyguard put down the chest he carried and released it with a grateful sigh. He pulled out his sword and running his fingertips down its length, displayed first one side of the menacing weapon, then the other to the quivering old man who backed away until the bars of the library chamber gate stopped his retreat. Listen up, old man. This is how it is going to go. I need you to let us into that library. We're going to take one book, just one that no one will miss, and then we'll be on our way. You're thieves? Oh, my... The door, now. 
Manu tapped on the padlock with the tip of his sword and raised an expectant eyebrow to the vault keeper. The old man fumbled with a keychain, then looked at the man with the sword. I've, I've never failed in my duty. Forty years I've worked here. He turned a key in the padlock and a chain fell to the floor, its echo bouncing off the walls. Manu swung his arm and brought down the round iron pommel of the sword on the back of the old man's head. The vault keeper crashed to the floor, blood from the wound seeping through his thin white hair and staining the ground. You didn't have to do that. Hatra glared at Manu as she knelt beside the old man and held a wetted finger under his nose to check for breath. He'll be fine. He'll just wake up in a couple of hours with a really bad headache and a perfect excuse to give to the guards at the door. They're the ones that will get blamed for this. Now stop complaining and help me find the book. You too, Jum. A book wrapped in clockwork. Mano pulled open the iron gate. It slipped easily. The old man had obviously oiled it. They rummaged through the books, searching for the collection Vashir had told them about. Hurry up, this is taking too long. Manu broke open a crate and spilled the contents on the floor, books opening to a ruffle of pages and scrolls running away. Is this it? Jum held up a brass box, two handspans wide and deep enough that he could only just close his fingers around it. It was covered in tiny cogs and gears, intermeshed like the finest mosaic. Good lad! Manu snatched it from his apprentice and hefted it in one hand. It's pretty heavy. It better have our plans inside. Hatra, the chest. There will be many plans in there, Hatra said. Not just the one we need. That crafty Vashir is getting a good deal out of this. She knelt by the chest Manu had sweated with, all the way down to the vaults and unlocked it. They'll expect to see you return with a lighter chest if they are going to believe we deposited all our gold. Manu shoved it over onto its side with his foot and the rocks it held tumbled out. I understand the plan. He dropped the brass box inside the chest and locked it, handing the key back to Hatra. He picked up the chest easily by a side handle and it hung loosely at his side. Ready? Hatra dragged the vault keeper into the library, putting a cushion under his head and folding his arms across his chest. Then she locked him in. He won't be able to raise the alarm for some time. Let's go. She moved quickly back down the corridor. I'd have liked to have spent a bit more time down here. It's a shame to leave that keychain behind. Manu scratched his chin as he ruefully passed all the locked vaults. There are safer places to steal from. I suggest you focus on this job. We're not out of it yet. They reached the door and Manu banged on it to summon the guards. 
the doors swung open and the guards lowered their spears to point at the wealthy merchant. Where is the vault keeper? He never lets people wander around unescorted. What happened to him? The servant boy jumped in front of the merchant woman and bowed and fussed as he gently pushed the spears away from his mistress. That crazy old man just locked himself into a library or something and told us to stop bothering him and let ourselves out. The guard sighed. The old fellow is going to get himself into trouble one of these days. He's not allowed to fool around inside people's vaults, let alone the Sultan's library. His obsession with books will lose him his head. Mark my words. The captain of the guard looked at the chest dangling lightly from the fist of the wealthy merchant woman's bodyguard. Mistress, I trust your vault met with your approval? It was adequate. Of course, mistress. Now, may I escort you out? You no doubt have pressing matters to attend to. Assuredly. The merchant woman sniffed at the captain of the guard and brushed past the vault guards as they were led from the treasury. Did you get it? Bashir hopped around the room with a youthful vigour. He'd been babbling in excitement since they returned, flecks of saliva on his lips. Have I ever let you down, Bashir? Hatra stepped on the chest as the old man tried to fumble it open. I think you'll have to make me quite a few bombs to repay this debt. Vashir scowled at her. I prefer you with the mask. You display more courtesy than that persona. Very well. More bombs. But now, let me look at it. Hatra unlocked the chest and placed the brass box on the old man's workbench. It is more magnificent than I remember. Truly astonishing. Vashir stroked it tenderly. How does it open? Manu peeked over Vashir's shoulders. Out of my way, shoo, shoo. This will take some time. I don't know how to open it just yet. I need to work that out. I never knew the secret when I was his student. And even though I would sneak out at night and try my luck, it always confounded me. Well, many years have passed since then. We'll have to see if this old student has finally reached his masterhood of the craft. The old man strapped himself into his engineering equipment and began peering through his brass telescopes at the mechanical book. Will it take some time? How long, old man? Manu stretched out a hand towards the box and withdrew it with speed as mechanical pincers snapped at him. As long as it takes. Now shoo. I need to concentrate. And I need peace and quiet. Go out. Go out and be young people. Make some noise in a tavern or somewhere. Anywhere, but not, not here. Shoo. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Divush Pasiti and Vigto Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.